Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy who, by classical definition, uh, was enabled in my addiction. <laughs> and I'm here with... I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And... And I'm Jenny. And I don't have to drink today. Woohoo! <laughs> and this is episode 100. And so we're going to have like Yay. party packs and we're going to give away millions of dollars and we got lots of surprise guests and none of that is true <laughs> at all. But it is episode 100 and that is... Uh, Congratulations, man. Uh, we have set out yeah. to do something. I, I kind of, so as I overthink everything, remember we were on like episode nine and I was like, should we go to season two? Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, fuck seasons. And then, I, you know, leading up to this, I was like, do we celebrate episode 100 or do we celebrate episode 104, which is two years? Huh. And I was like, I don't know. Do we celebrate <laughs> twice, four episodes right. apart? Like, I don't know. But either way, episode 100 sounds like a rounder number. So that's yeah. fucking awesome. We. I was told there would be cake. Is there cake? <laughs> There's no cake. Oh. That's episode 104. <laughs> okay. But we just, uh, we keep showing up and we keep yeah. doing it uh, keep for doing no it. good reason. But we're committed. If nothing else, people cannot <laughs> say we are not committed. Yes. We have overcome some big challenges of vacations and family issues and all sorts of things yeah we have locational challenges <laughs> that's right and we have not missed a week though it has not always sounded pretty we have not <laughs> missed a week uh and and i think that actually probably will change from here i'm like all right we hit 100 we can replay an old episode if we have to <laughs> fuck it it's all right um so today we're going to talk about enabling right this concept of enabling uh billy talked about it a couple weeks ago it got brought up what were we even talking about we were talking with Caroline, and she had mentioned, uh, I can't remember specifically, but she had mentioned something about enabling people, and I said, I don't know if that's a thing I believe in anymore. I don't know if, you Why know, I think we enable people. the topic of that episode? The topic of it was... Expectations. Expectations. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And you were saying that you saw that, uh, that intervention show and the mom who decided it was safer. So the... Actually, go ahead. Recap that because that's important. <laughs> yeah. So I used to watch that intervention show. If you've never seen it, it's on A&E or one of those networks. And it's basically a person that's in chaotic use and their family does like an intervention to try to get them help and get them into treatment. Um, and, and they'll tell their story. And it was a mom was telling the story of her daughter who they were getting ready to do an intervention with. The daughter had been using the mom did the tough love type things, threw her out of the house. The daughter started prostituting and living off the streets and all that. 
Um, the mom got a call one night to basically come identify her daughter's body at the mm. hospital because some John or the pimp had beat her up and left her for dead in an alley. Mm. And uh, they found her and brought her to the hospital and, and pretty much assumed she was going to die. And so now what was going on at the point of this intervention was the mom, the daughter recovered. The mom brought her back to the house and did all the, I think, over-the-top things, which was like going out to get her daughter's drugs and things like that. But from the mom's perspective, she said, you know, after she got that call and and really knew what her daughter was doing to use mm-hmm. – she felt like it was just better and safer for her just to buy her drugs and keep the daughter at home so that she could have her alive. And that's hard to argue with, right? I remember uh, in Hamden growing up in the middle of Baltimore City, there was a young lady that I had gotten high with. Not, I didn't get high with a whole lot of people often, right? I was like stingy. I was like, you didn't, I didn't want you around. You might interfere with my drugs somehow. But I do remember her being around. We'd hop in the same cars together to go over to, to buy drugs and stuff. And, uh, she was found beaten to death, right, by somebody. And it's like, damn, I, I bet her parents who thought they weren't enabling her might think differently about it at this point. And so I think it brings up an interesting conversation because we've had this idea forever. You know, I, I think it's it's well established in like the Al-Anon, Naranon world if we don't want to enable the people to use. We, we want them to face these consequences because that's what's going to get them clean And I don't know, is that changing? Like doing some research on Google, what I found was there are no articles about that idea changing. Like there is still very many articles about enabling and how it's bad and why we don't do it. And, you know, it's an interesting idea, right? So if we conceptualize that the way to get clean is through consequences, that's going to be enough. I, I guess, yeah, we don't enable. We want people to have consequences and then they they find sobriety or, or clean time or recovery. But if that's not what we think is going on, so to speak, if, if it's not necessarily consequences, I mean, how many people have OD'd because they were getting high in a place where nobody was there watching them to be able to nar- Narcan them or, or call help? And why are they doing that? Well, because we're not going to enable them and let that in our house, right? And I think that idea of, you know, not enabling people is a barrier to a lot of the harm reduction techniques that we're seeing nowadays. I mean, it's one of the biggest things you hear from, you know, politicians or people in the community is like, oh, you're just giving them needles, you know, you're just enabling them to use. Mm -hmm. And to some, I mean, if you want to look at it from the definition of enabling, like, yeah, you're denying them the consequences of death and hepatitis and, uh, you know, AIDS and all these other health community risks. But at what point, do you, I guess from my perspective on this enabling ideas, like we look at, and I think we've talked quite a bit about it, like addiction, the idea that it's a moral failing or a moral dilemma and that you need to suffer some horrible consequences in order to get better. Um, I think that's an old idea that's starting to change. I think we look at it now as usually these are people that have suffered you know, most of the time, a lot of severe abuse, neglect, some sort of trauma, and that if we can keep them alive long enough to get them into the right sorts of treatment for their trauma or past, you know, issues that they have to deal with, then they can get better. But us, you know, 
forcing them into worse and worse situations so that they're homeless, out on the street, having to prostitute, having to steal, lie, cheat for drugs. Like, is that really what we need to do to get them help? (laughs) Right. In comparison, like, would we let the, uh, you know, our loved one get to stage four cancer before we give them help? I mean. Hmm. Is that a good comparison? Is it? Trying to think of something that would be really similar. We always, the needle thing or the Narcan, we always talk about the insulin, right? Is that similar in any way? Would we like, yeah. So if we, if we are coming from a disease model, which I don't know if we are anymore or not, it's up in the air. But if we are coming from a disease model, if this is truly a, a medical disease of, you know, substance abuse, then what good is it to just let them sit right? Right. We wouldn't let them get to stage four cancer. We wouldn't uh, not intervene or help the guy who's diabetic. We wouldn't watch him in, in a diabetic coma and be like, ah, oh, he just needs to, you know, have harsher consequences and he'll his right. he'll start producing sugars. Yeah. Right. Or, or, or digesting sugars or whatever it might be. Well, and it case. almost gets back to that N.A. saying, you know, some may must die so that others can live. It gets back to that wow. idea. It's like, wow, that's a fucking terrible thing. To, you know, I don't know that saying. Yeah, it's a. It's a recovery saying in Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. Well, and and I think, you know, we, we look at that as like, I don't know. I don't know how I've looked at it in the past, honestly. But really, and we talked about this a, a week or two ago, too, that idea that like when I keep saying, oh, yeah, I keep, you know, offering to help these people in recovery and they're not getting the help. They're still using, but I'm clean. Right. I think that ties into that statement of some must die so that uh, like that's not a good idea. Like, if I'm not helping these fucking people, then who gives a fuck if I'm still clean or not? I'm not helping at all. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, but as far as, you know, the enabling part, I, I mean, it's really hard, right? Like, most of these cases, there's not a one-size-fits-all to recovery stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be people that, no matter what you do, they don't want your help and they'll take whatever you want to give them anything you want to give them they will just take and then when you aren't looking they'll take some more and i think as an individual like we do need to have boundaries and we do need to have limitations i mean i wouldn't necessarily say just because i was worried my daughter might go out on the streets and and use and become a prostitute that i'm going to let them live in my house and steal everything i own and abuse my wife or you know other siblings like i don't think i would necessarily do that but at the same time it it feels a lot when people talk about like enabling an addict that's like I, i guess in my head what i hear is we need to like shame them and let them suffer and make their life harder so that they'll go seek out some sort of help so yeah, I agree. And that kind of reminds me of that old saying, like, the givers have to have established limits because the takers don't. Right. right? <laughs> I, I get that. Right. We we need to have boundaries. We need to be concerned about our own health. But I, I was surprised. Uh, and maybe I just had the wrong Google search terms. Maybe I didn't look at page five. I only got to page four. I don't know. <laughs> but I was surprised that in 2021, there wasn't more dialogue about whether enabling is a bad thing, a good thing, when it might be useful, when it might not be like uh, everything I found, like all the top searches were all enabling's bad. Don't do it. This is what it looks like. So did you search in reference to just addiction? 
I tried to search for in reference to addiction and around the idea of mental health. Okay, because I just did some general like enabling type stuff, and apparently there is some pretty positive information about enabling through different therapies to try to help people become the best versions of themselves. I didn't read much about it because uh, it wasn't what I was looking for, but I did find some of that right. as being something like, how do you enable someone to get over different traumas and things like that? So, But I wasn't searching specifically around addiction or anything. I just looked up enabling and is enabling good and how, you know, what is enabling? like? When I was thinking about enabling for this episode, I was thinking about how you know, addiction is a family disease. And so the addict is, you know, fucked up in their substance abuse ways, but the other members of the family and loved ones are kind of fucked up in their like enabling ways. Like they're adjusting to the addict's life in subtle ways or sometimes major ways, like compromising their own self-care or morals to help the addict. And so it's almost like enabling is its own disease. Is that... So... uh to speak to what Billy said, uh, I think like in my social work learning, we talk about the role of being an enabler as a social worker, right? Enabling people to access resources, enabling them to better their situation. But I think it's got a whole different connotation from the enabling that we talk about around addiction right. most of the time, right? Which is what you're talking about. I think that's we've often said like, oh, well, there's the addict and then the enablers around them are the codependents. Right. They're codependent on this person being okay. And so out of fear, they enable them to continue because they don't like the other idea of what will happen if they don't. Um, Is there a difference between enabling and codependency? From I would say that people who believe in enabling strongly probably believe that enablers are codependent. Okay. Because if not, why wouldn't you do something else and the way you said it makes sense the uh they're codependent on the addict being comfortable yeah and there seem for me yeah. at least in in what i read centered around addiction there seem to be two different ideas around enabling one of them being and i'll, I'll kind of read this because this i think makes more sense to where i would say yeah this would be enabling it says uh, where the family members excuse, justify, ignore, deny, and smooth over the addiction. Mm. Like, those are all ways that I think, yeah, I wouldn't want to do those things, no matter what situation my family member was going through. But to think of enabling as anything that we do that minimizes the consequences of someone's actions or allows them to continue a certain behavior, I think that's different. Hmm. Top top result on google right uh it's on healthline it says what is an enabler 11 ways to recognize one right <laughs> interestingly and i just noticed this this article was written by crystal raypole who i believe is a female i'm assuming just by the name crystal that's an assumption but uh you know probably a valid one but it's got a little picture and i just assumed the little picture was the author but the picture's a dude and it says medically reviewed by timothy j leg and i'm like so the guy who medically reviewed the article gets his picture up, but the the writer doesn't. <laughs> like, what a patriarchy world. Sorry. It just, uh, it stuck out to me as interesting. Right. So it says, uh, the term enabler generally describes someone whose behavior allows a loved one to continue self-destructive patterns of behavior. 
I take exception with that idea right from the get-go that it describes someone whose behavior allows a loved one. Like, motherfucker, you don't have control over other people. Right. You don't have the ability <laughs> to deny or allow anyone to continue their self-destructive behavior. So I think that's a shitty way to frame it just from the get-go. Like, it's not up to me to allow or deny some other human anything. And that's just a weird way to frame it. That it allows them to continue self-destructive. What about parent and child? I, 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 they're not my property. Like I, I mean, well, I, I don't think so. I don't get to choose what they do and don't. And as evidenced by any parent who's ever dealt with a child with mental health or substance abuse struggles, you don't get to win. Like right. you get whatever the fuck you get. There's no like golden ticket of oh, do these ten things and you'll have have success controlling your child. Like fuck no, kids do what they want. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. We, and this gets a little off topic, but we always do, right? So we, Jen and I watch this show now. It's called Evil Lives Here or something. It's about violent, evil people that live in homes. And one was about a kid growing up, you know, and at four, his mom and or stepmom and dad, you know, he had all these signs that he was going to be violent and evil he was threatening to kill him in their sleep and all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff we went through that with my son when he was very young he was incredibly violent he would say horrible things he actually at times would like try to get knives out of the kitchen and act Mm -hmm. like he was going to stab us i mean it's i chuckle now because now it's so much different but you know and, and in this show they ended up putting this kid in an institution and all sorts of things and we didn't end up going that route we went to therapy and we came up with a plan and for us it worked the fuck out you know what i mean like it the therapy and and those things (laughs) worked out pretty good yeah and he doesn't still do that anyway yeah right (laughs) but it's like for for this family things went very much a different direction and i don't know that i get to I mean, some of that shit's just luck. It is feels that, like. is that fiction or nonfiction? Just curious. That show yeah. is real. Oh, it's real oh, okay. people. You can Google their names and it'll tell you what they did afterwards. Yeah, it's a real show with real family. They did John Wayne Gacy. His family members of his were on there, and they talk about growing up with him. And you know, anyway. So the the article goes on. It says the term can be stigmatizing since there's often a negative judgment attached to it, which I, I agree. There is often a negative judgment attached to enabling. If you're considered an enabling parent or an enabling partner, like your view. Yeah, I never think of that in positive terms, but you could enable right. your child to greatness, you know. Right. I didn't really think about that till today. No, we're, we're definitely like, oh, you're enabling? You're, you're, you're sick terrible. too. Yeah. Right. What's wrong with you? Uh, It says enabling usually refers to patterns that appear in the context of drug or alcohol misuse and addiction. But according to the APA, American Psychological Association, it can refer to patterns within close relationships that support any harmful or problematic behavior and make it easier for that behavior to continue. Enabling doesn't mean you support your loved one's addiction or other behavior. You might believe if you don't help, the outcome for everyone involved will be far worse. Yeah, it could be, right? I mean, the situation you talked about, if everybody in the world had to vote on that, like, I'm thinking the majority of people kind of side with the idea of like, hey, let's keep this daughter safe and alive. You would, uh, you, I would think. hope. Right? <laughs> I would hope. So looking at it from that situation's context, like you might believe if you don't help, the outcome for everyone involved will be far worse. I would say the outcome for the daughter would be worse if she got beat up 
and died. I would say the outcome for the mom would be far worse if the daughter got beat up and died. Like, right. So I don't know. That That's an interesting idea. So I, I guess it's interesting if I read on. It says, maybe you excuse troubling behavior, lend money, or assist in other ways. But it's important to realize enabling doesn't really help. And I look at that situation and I'm like, are you fucking sure? Because yeah. <laughs> that and, sounds helpful. So, And those are the exact arguments against things like the syringe exchange. And what the evidence is bearing out here in Cecil County is that that has been the single highest, uh, whatever you call it, intervention point to get people into treatment. Most of the people that are getting into treatment through voices have come through the syringe exchange program. And, Hmm. you know, so is it enabling them to use? Maybe, but it's also helping to keep them alive long enough to get them into treatment so that they have someone, they know where to go when they want to get help. Does that mean that every person that accesses those services is going to get help or that it's going to make the outcome better for every single individual? Absolutely not, you know. Is that what they mean when they say evidence-based? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it means there's actual science and numbers behind okay. it. That's right. But the whole goal and idea of that is we just need to fucking keep people alive. Like, people dying because of addiction in general is a bad thing for the community. And right. so, yes, that is a consequence that comes along with using. But if there's something we can do to stop that, you know, should we worry that it's labeled enabling? You know, should should well, it's enabling, so we shouldn't do it. Like, right. well, no, we keep these people alive. We try to keep them healthy. There are some other positive outcomes for the community as far as reduce risk of different, you know, diseases and things. But you know, you just want to keep people alive. And that's so the the paragraph goes on, but it's important to realize enabling doesn't really help. Over time, it can have a damaging effect on your loved one and others around them. It's difficult for someone to get help if they don't fully see the consequences of their actions. I'm definitely thinking this is like tied into an old belief of what addiction is and how we solve it. I really am. Exactly. So, but why do we, like we, I feel like the belief is changing, but this idea isn't, right? Over time, it can have a damaging effect. I think it's more damaging if more people in the fucking community die. Like that is bad for the, like you just said, that's terrible for the entire community. That's more people who have the trauma of losing their kid, their loved one, their, their whoever. That's more families who fucking struggle every Christmas when it's not the same as it used to be. Like that's a more damaging effect over time than anything. So yeah, I don't want to give my kids money every day so that they can go do drugs. I'm not saying that's what I want to do. But looking at it from this other light, and you were talking about trying to make it uh, compared to a medical thing. I'm looking at this like, what about homeless people? Let's stop feeding them because if they have less food and more <laughs> right. consequences, if they're hungrier. They'll, they'll work get a job. <laughs> right. I mean, a lot of people yeah. still believe that. Definitely. Uh, but yeah. that's ridiculous. Right. That's like stupid. we just aren't going to feed them. Like that's fucking crazy. Right. And, and that's what I'm, I don't know. That's one of the things that just popped up on my mind reading this paragraph. Like. How How is not helping people better? I, I don't know. So it talks about enabling versus empowerment. Empowerment is like giving them tools, helping them access resources, teaching them skills. Um, so it, it does have some situations on here. It's got examples. So maybe we can run through them and, and talk about what yeah, we think. About I would it. love to. Can I, can I shout something out? So I'm thinking about like based on what Billy was saying. There's like an arc of 
enabling to harm reduction. I mean, am I, am I thinking about this right? Like a spectrum, like there's enabling, which is just giving the addict something. But if there's like harm reduction, it's more like a like a package or a philosophy of giving them and hoping they'll stay alive long enough to get treatment. It, or is it just enabling isn't? It's all harm reduction. I'm just trying to understand. Is well, I think there's the, the community level enabling, right? The harm reduction methods. And I think there's the personal family or one-on-one level of enabling, which is more probably familiar to what we're we're talking about most of the time. A lot of times this is viewed as enabling your partner or your kids. Um, you know, do you give them money? Do you overlook the fact that they come in late? Do you ignore the signs that there's a problem because it's just easier to ignore than it is to cause the conflict of dealing with it. Like, and some of it's a little more complicated even than that. So the article I was, one of the articles I was reading was talking about, like, let's say you're a wife of a husband that's an alcoholic and he drinks too much and can't make it into work. Well, then you go and call his work, mm-hmm. you know, oh, he's sick, he can't make it in today, you know, to cover for his using. Well, if he loses his fucking job... You know what I mean? Your like, family doesn't That affects eat. the family, that affects the kids, that affects, you know. So, and in the article, it sort of was making this wife out like she's an enabler for her husband. Right. Like, yeah, what the fuck happens if he loses his job? You know right. what I mean? And she becomes homeless and her kids, you know, now have no But stability. if they're going, they keep going down the road they're going, he's going to lose his job anyway. Maybe. You know, like. Maybe. Or maybe you sort of point out, hey, look, these are the things that can happen. This is the road you're going down. I love you. I want to support you. You know, we. So then, yeah, that move was part of a bigger package, a bigger philosophy. Yeah. Well, and what if he loses his job in, in 10 years once all the kids are 18 and out of the house? It's a little less impactful and drastic then, right? It's or not she fucking can see it coming family. so she can get some things in place. <laughs> like, right. You know, yeah. so, I can start stocking away some savings so when he loses mm-hmm. his job. Or, or what if two years from now, miraculously, he decides he has a problem and wants to do something about it and gets help, right? right. Like, I don't think. I get it. I get what you're saying, right? Oh, well, he's going to lose it anyway one day. And and maybe that's true. But I think that doesn't mean we should have worse outcomes sooner just because that might be a possibility in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I read that same article and I was thinking yeah. the same thing. Yeah. I, I didn't like, get that. Yeah. Right. Like if he loses his fucking job, everybody suffers. You know what I mean? It's not just like she's not denying him of the consequences. She's got fucking consequences wrapped up into that shit too. Right. And so I I guess from a a clinical standpoint, you know, what I would say is my belief, and I think the belief of a lot of people right now in therapy is the idea that if you take away someone's coping resources without having resources already put into place that they can use, that's malpractice. Like for someone to come see me and me to not give them anything, I I haven't given you any breathing techniques, any meditation. We haven't talked about anything. We haven't calmed your nervous system. And I'm just like, you need to fucking stop drinking. If they stop drinking, that's going to be bad. (laughs) They got nothing to put in the place of it. So if I haven't resourced someone, I am really like committing malpractice by trying to get them to stop something when they have nothing else to put in place of it. And I don't know if that, spreads out to this idea in in the the layman world right like i don't know if we'd be it's not malpractice obviously because you're not practicing anything but it does seem inhumane 
Like, hey, I'm going to take the coping skills you've learned in your life and just rip them away from you. And now you can just sit there and suffer in pain. Yeah. And, and I believe this idea of enabling needs to change because our views on addiction change. You know, it's right. like the Johan Hari, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection thing. And like, say, the belief that addiction comes from trauma, like those ideas like you said, lead us to look at addiction like, oh, this is a result of, you know, abuse, neglect, trauma, maybe bringing in those sorts of therapies and those sorts of interventions are better than just trying to force someone into some bad consequences. Right, right. I I mean, if you haven't given someone something else to do, you are taking away the only way they've been capable of dealing. So if you look at, at, at addiction as less of a moral failing, as less of a disease and more of a, I had a life that felt intolerable to live and I was either going to kill myself or find a way to make it tolerable and drugs, alcohol, whatever you want to call it. That was my way to make it tolerable. Well, now if I take that away from you, I'm putting you right back into that intolerable life, right? It's like if you get out of the car and you leave the radio on 18 when you get back in the car, the radio is on 18, right? Like right. when you get out of that pain, when you go back into it, it's the same pain. And so if we don't give you anything, we're, we're really doing more harm than good. We're, you know, to not enable that person until they have resources is to say, hey, uh, fuck you. I don't care if you're hurting. It's like if they were going to do an operation on, on your broken arm, right? And they didn't give you pain medicine until the operation. They were like, ah, just sit there and fucking, you know, writhe and cry and puke out of your pain. And then we'll operate and it'll get better then. But that's three weeks from now when we can schedule it. Right. What? No. (laughs) No. Help me till then. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. So, okay. First one is, they say, first enabling behavior is ignoring or tolerating problematic behavior. Tolerating. I like that. So here's the situation. Your partner struggles with alcohol misuse, right? You got that? So your partner's struggling with alcohol misuse. They say they haven't been drinking, but you find a receipt in the bathroom trash for a liquor store from last night. Uh, Do you bring it up or do you not? Bring it up. Oh, yeah. I think you would bring it up. Okay. So they're saying enabling would be to not bring it up because okay. I would give them I would give them that if you just ignore it or act like it's yeah I would but if you go back to this idea of let's say a man who's a stay-at-home father right and the woman who's got a job and she's saying she's not drinking and they're already having a lot of struggles in their relationship and his concern is to cause more conflict, she's going to roll out and leave him and the kids without any way to survive. Now we get more complex. So, yeah, and it, it definitely gets complex based off what are the values in your relationship. So, like, when I say that, it's because honesty is a big value that is in my relationship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't good point. lie to my wife. I don't expect her to lie to me. 
we've talked about that. <laughs> like that's a shared value. So if she tells me she's doing one thing and then she does something else, I'm going to, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's, oh, I'm going to be working today and then she doesn't go to work and she goes to the beach, be like, how come you went to the beach and didn't tell me? You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not necessarily that I would need to bring up the, the drinking receipt in this. God damn it. You know what I mean? You're drinking again, you son of a bitch. You know, that sort of thing. But it might be like, hey, I thought you said you weren't drinking. What's this receipt from? But does the alcoholic feel that any different no matter how you say it? <laughs> like when I was using, it didn't matter if you were cussing me out about my using or you were just like, hey, I, I found drugs in your room. I'd have felt the same way either way. I'd have been like, I just got to get the fuck out of here. Well, that fuck gets back to the, the spiritual principles and the principles that I try to live my life by. Well, you but know? you're also coming from a place, and I mean, where else could you come from? This is where you're at. But a place of two pretty healthy people in recovery Right. In their relationship, right? Like that looks a lot different if we're too, you know, actively. Yeah. Using. If I'm with somebody that's actively yeah. using, obviously, that also says something about my mental health state right. to begin with and like our ability to communicate effectively and not yell and scream. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, I get it. I, I do think you bring it up. Um, talking to a guy last night, he was talking about how when he was getting high as a teen, his parent was in NA and knew he was getting high and told everybody he was clean because they didn't want the stigma hmm. of having to kick him out or, or over the pressure of the people in the rooms to say you, you're enabling him or any of those things. So it was easier for them to just ignore. And I look at my own life and my parents, like, I mean, I 15 neon pot leaf poster on the wall. <laughs> right. Like it was pretty ignored for me too, right? Like, yeah. I And think that was my too it was ignored yeah. yeah yeah my parents didn't want to know yeah. and, and look i don't know if it changes anything if they're like super serious and force me into therapy or i don't know if that changes anything at all but i i kind of do think it's the best better way to handle it i guess i wouldn't want to ignore it in my household oh no and with our kids we just i mean we try to talk not we don't beat them to death with addiction stuff but we talk to them about it they know what my wife does they know that we're both involved in recovery they know that we've had addiction problems and we bring it up from the perspective of look if you decide at some point you're going to drink because they're going to be adults and do what they want nowadays maybe even smoke pot because that's going to be legal everywhere in the next couple years i think for sure you know so they may do these things in their normal life and at least what we're starting to think or believe now is that if they're healthy and well-rounded individuals, that they should be able to do those things socially without mm. severe consequences in their life. And so if they want to do those things, good for them. But they need to be aware that, one, we have a history of those things, and two, the warning signs of like, hey, this might be the signs that shit's starting to get a little out of control. And you just kind of need to be aware that if this comes up, you need to take a look at your behaviors. Right. So number two, providing financial assistance. Okay. So here you go. Your adult child struggles to manage their money and never has enough to pay their rent. Helping them out each month won't teach them how to manage their money. Instead, they may become more dependent on you. What do you do? Do you help them out with money each month or no? <laughs> this is such a fucking weird one. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I'm like, if you have the money... Why wouldn't you help your kids? So my wife and I have always said, my kids can fucking live with us as long as they want forever. Yeah. And it, if if we can afford it, and, it's, and this gets to the enabling You're thing. You're a fucking like, enabler, it's, Billy. I know. I'm enabling my 19-year-old <laughs> daughter to be fucking lazy yes. and some millennial, you know, like, ah, oh, these millennials. <laughs> this is like, why the world sucks, Billy. Yeah. 
I'm going to let my kid have fun in life. How dare I, son of a bitch. <laughs> That's a really, I think like, they didn't even put any drug context in this one, so I found no, it really it's, weird. I'm it's like, crazy. What's your... Well, what, and that's what I think that? of. Like my daughter now, like she's not into drugs or anything. We're just like, hey, you got your whole life to figure out what the fuck you want to do. Just because you're 19 doesn't mean, you know. Now, if she was 45 and sitting on the couch all day watching video games, I don't know if I'd be okay with that. Or playing video games. You don't watch video games. You Maybe you do it. nowadays. Some you do, do on right. Twitch. That's crazy. But anyway, you know, I probably wouldn't be okay with that. I might not. I'm probably not going to throw them out, but I would maybe say hey look here's things you got to do around the house or here's other things you can do but I, what do i care my wife's all the time is like i hope all you guys live with us forever and that when you have families and kids they can live here too like i, I think me and jen have that same like uh yeah. attachment style where i'm like oh my god my kids will move out and it's gonna fucking crush me yeah <laughs> like no stay well, stay forever and just in different contexts i mean when we were in utah with the the mormon community like that's exactly what they do like they have property and they'll build a fucking house right next to their house for their kids like they want them to yeah. stay there and with their families and raise them together like that and a lot of times the parents either give them the property build the house like they do all that shit so that just so that the family stay tight and together so what if your daughter's 45 does work right but it's maybe not the best paying job and every time she gets paid, just blows her fucking money on whatever, the newest computer, whatever it is she likes, just blows it, right? But never has, I mean, are you going to be like thinking that you're, what does this say? That she's more dependent on you and can't manage her money and you need to do something different? Like, would you even give a shit? I can't manage my own fucking money. <laughs> I got to let my wife do it because I'm irresponsible with money. <laughs> I mean, but would you My wife is enabling me, goddamn Right. <laughs> Damn it, Jen. She needs Stop to, enabling Our Billy. family needs to suffer financially because I'm bad with money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what are, I mean, you're in a unique situation, I think, for this one. Oh, I am? I, I think, right? Like, um, you kind of plan on financially helping that's true. one so, of your kids. Yeah, so one of my daughters probably will stay with me because she has Down syndrome. Um, but I always say, Mill I would love it if Millie stayed home with you know forever too yeah. but and she she's only seven and she's like i want to live right next to you mom she wants to buy the house next door yeah. but you know thinking about this scenario um i've seen the um like there's a house in my neighborhood close by the uh adult children you know go out in the world get messed up with drugs again and come back and they they keep coming back and now they're in their mid-30s and um, I've often thought of the mom as enabling. And I think there's a little bit of resentment because when the kids move back, the crime in the neighborhood mm. goes goes up too. So I have that kind of fear-based resentment towards the situation. But, you know, what would happen if the mom didn't take these kids back? Um, so you can enable people just not kids. in your neighborhood. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just not. <laughs> just my neighbors need not to knock it Not in my it section <laughs> of the neighborhood, please. But we, I mean... All of us neighbors have watched this scenario happen. I've lived in this house for almost 20 years, and we've been watching it this whole time. And they're like, oh, they're back. This is still from that idea that, like, everybody is supposed to move out and have their own house. and all. Like, this is yeah. a really weird idea and very American for sure. And I'm like, yeah. did, did the fucking mortgage companies write this example? <laughs> right. Like, Right. Who wrote this? Well, I th yeah, I think it's. Uh, I thought I was shocked to hear that all three of us wouldn't mind if our kids stayed with us forever. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, don't, I love it. I, yeah. I, I want mind. my kids close because my. I mean, like my parents are states away, 
you know, and, you know, I just want my kids to be with me. And that's for me as a newer belief. I mean, if you'd asked me 20 years ago before I had kids, I'm like, I need to, you know, raise these individuals to go out and conquer the world and be some representation of me. (laughs) You know, now I don't care about any of that. Like, I don't care what my kid does as long as she's happy. You know, she just needs to be happy. So number three, covering for them or making excuses. Uh, You might call your partner's work to say they're sick when they're hungover or blackout drunk, or you may call your child's school school with an excuse when they haven't completed a term project or studied for an important exam. Your actions may seem to help in the moment. They keep your partner from facing a reprimand or even losing their job and source of income. They prevent your child from experiencing academic consequences that could affect your future. But your actions can give your loved one the message that there's nothing wrong with their behavior that you'll keep covering for them. I definitely disagree with this one. There's got to be more to the story. Like, you're not going to do it and then not talk to them. Right, right. You know, like, I did this. Now, pull pull up, please. You might. My parents (laughs) did. Oh, they got me lawyers and all kinds of shit. And we never had, like, big conversations about, you know, you really need to stop drinking and driving in the car all the time. <laughs> like, that was not the case. It was like, oh, here's legal trouble. Let's get a lawyer. And let, but yeah, well, there clearly, wasn't the, it got it worse. Did, and yeah. that's where I think the issues come up. It's like, it's not the enabling behavior that's the problem. It's the, we need to have conversations about fucking reality, you know? Well, I think yeah. this one brings up a really good point, honestly, in my mind, at least. The idea of this is, again, going back to they need these consequences to seek help, right? They need these financial consequences, these, these bottom of the barrel. You and your family need to get evicted from your house, and you need to take your kids and sleep on the street because of your spouse's alcohol abuse, and they lost their job, right? You need to be hungry. You need to eat at shelters. That's the kind of consequences we need. Then your partner will see the error of their ways and do something different. Your partner needs to die frozen to death because he's an alcoholic or she's an alcoholic out on the street during the winter because they got kicked out and lost their job. Like these, it's, I don't think the consequences necessarily were the answer. And I look back at my life and, you know, prison didn't make me think that I needed to do something different loss of jobs unemployment being homeless none of these consequences actually got me clean maybe maybe they were part of the process I can't say they weren't right I don't know that maybe they led to this other consequence which is what I think did get me clean this like what we call in Narcotics Anonymous, at least what I think it's called in Narcotics Anonymous, this spiritual emptiness, right? This spiritual death, this void of anything where I just felt so lifeless and like I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and couldn't take any more emptiness inside, right? That's the consequence that led me to do something about my problem or to change my behavior. It wasn't really the homelessness. Did all those possibly contribute to that? possibly right if i was living some posh lifestyle if i was like a musician and still had money and still had a bed to sleep in and maybe i don't get that spiritual emptiness but i don't see that because i see rich people that still get clean right right? like they still have their house and shit and they can find this other spiritual death consequence or whatever we want to term it there's plenty of examples of those people you know nowadays there's these incredibly successful people that financially never struggle whatsoever But it was the spiritual death was their bottom. Right. So I don't think we need to give these people the consequences of like being homeless or or losing your job or or dying from an overdose or getting AIDS. I don't think we need to give those consequences 
in order to still have this background stuff going on. Like we can protect them from those things. Hey, I'll call out of work for you because you're blackout drunk and still have these conversations and try to lovingly get them to seek the resources that they can put in place so that they can have the other desire to find recovery, whether that's a consequence or not. Well, and you brought up a good point about like coping mechanisms. Like just because you help someone do something, you can still or or you can work with them towards how to cope with those things, you know, like just because you help them deal with their drunken calling out of work doesn't mean you just go, oh, I'll just do that for you forever now. And that's just how we handle this situation. You might still have a conversation be like, no, look, you know, we got to figure something out here. We can't. This isn't going to keep happening. We can't keep doing this. So this sounds like to me, the word keeps popping up in my head is compassion. Like, Mm. so compassion for your loved one and compassion for yourself. So taking care of the loved one. So yeah, you, you, you lie to the teacher or employer, but there's got to be a follow-up because that protects you. Compassion for the addict and then compassion for yourself for the better outcome. Because if you have that conversation to say like, yeah, we can't do that. We can't keep doing this, you know? Well, and that's where I think this idea of enabling just falls flat for me is is the opposite of enabling. When you say you need to stop enabling, what we've considered the opposite to be is tough love. I don't think tough love and compassion exist in the same fucking room. Right. Like those seem like two very different ideas, right? I'm not saying that at times when we're being compassionate to ourselves, the best thing we can't do is love from a distance. Maybe that is what we need to do, right? Maybe that's all we can handle. Maybe that's the boundary we need, but compassion and tough love couldn't sit in this basement together, I don't think. Well, a compassionate boundary could look like tough love, maybe. I'll have to think of an example. Yeah, well, I mean, as a parent, I mean, if my kids stole everything that I own and I came home from work every day and the TV's fucking gone... I don't know that I can allow that kid to continue to live in my house, but I don't think it Lock differs. Him in the basement. Yeah, right. <laughs> Got fucking tags on my TV. Or like if my children did steal from me, like I don't, I would probably call the cops at some, I mean, maybe not the very first time we might have a conversation and be like, look, the next time you steal my shit, I'm calling the police, you know what I mean? And telling them that, that you like stole my shit. Passionate boundary. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I might not need to throw them out at that point, but if they steal my shit, I'm calling the cops and we all know. But I think the boundaries is where that becomes important. It's like, what am I willing to tolerate? I mean, maybe I financially, I don't care about TVs and I like buying a new TV every other week. So, you know, who cares? <laughs> just give them the money. They're only getting right, a quarter right. price for the goddamn <laughs> right. TV. Yeah, right. I'll just give you 50 bucks. You're only getting 25 right. for the TV. Quit stealing my TV. I learned so much from this show. <laughs> <laughs> my parents put an alarm system on the house and it was like the option of you can be in or out but you can't go in and out. (laughs) (laughs) Like you you can stay in here with our shit safe or you can be outside where our shit is in here safe, but you can't be carrying shit in and out of the house. That's not going to work. Wow. How'd you smoke cigarettes? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I ever chose to stay in. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) to say into my kids, like, look, here's the rules. If you want to live here, you know, this is how we're living. Like, you know, I've always said, it, and now I'm lax on it, but because she's got her own key. But I've always said with my daughter, like, look, like you need to be home by midnight. I don't want people fucking coming into the house at one and two in the morning. Now, my daughter's super quiet. If she woke me up and made a bunch of noise, I would be pissed. But, 
You know, my 19-year-old, she does sometimes. She stays out late and stuff. But she's responsible. I don't really worry that much. She locks the door when she comes in. She's very quiet and respectful of us. And I just think back to me as a kid, like, I wasn't those things at all. I'm fucking coming in drunk and making all kinds of noise and going to my Same. bedroom, turning fucking music on, you know. My parents got to work in the morning. Knocking the fucking coffee table right. over, and I'm like, shh, But I'm so oblivious. Table. Right, and that's all they're doing. They're yelling, like, would you be quiet, please? It's like, right. and I just think, that's fucking crazy. Like, I would never tolerate that. So, I mean, yeah. I, you know, looking at this from my standpoint right now with my daughter and like uh, there's the belief that she's been sneaking out more than we're aware of. And like we just bought two camera systems and we're going to but it's not a it's not like a tough love. I'm not going to let you sneak out. It's like a, I'm here to protect your fucking safety. That's my job. And I need to know if you're leaving this house like we, we need boundaries around this. So right. it's, I don't consider that tough love, but I'm also not going to allow the behavior that I see as dangerous to continue if there's something I can do about it. So I don't know where that falls in enabling or not enabling, but it's from a compassionate place. It's a little different though when they're under 18, I think, because like, especially in schools nowadays, like in public school, like you can't just let your kid fucking fall behind because they like to play video games. Like as a parent, like, I mean, you can, but actually the, now it's ridiculous, dude. You but, can like do none of your work and then turn it all in at the end of the year, like half done, and they'll still give you credit and pass yeah, you. Yeah, but I'm I like, think as a fuck? as a parent, I mean, most kids, you know, they'd much rather play video games and hang out with friends and go do stuff than do homework and shit like that. And like as a parent, you gotta. So here's what's <laughs> funny. You're saying this, and I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm like, yeah, enabling's fucking stupid. It doesn't work. And yet, when I look at the school system enabling kids to turn in late work, like after the due date, I'm like, they're fucking enabling my kids and fucking them all up. They're not teaching them life <laughs> skills. Like, you can't turn in your work late at work. Like, that don't work. You get fired. Well, no, I don't think the school system should do it. I think as a parent, you almost have an obligation to enable your kids to succeed. And it, it, the whole game is rigged. Like, it's a fucking rigged game. Like, you better... A 11 year old doesn't understand the rig game of the public mm. school system and that failing a couple of grades can fuck you up on your credit and the rest of your right. life when you're fucking 19. They're looking at your sixth grade fucking math shit to make credit decisions. <laughs> like, that's nuts. Wow, I didn't even know that. I think looking at the public school, they seem more and more like a business to me these days. Like, it's a racket. I went to get a job at 25 in the union. And they were like, it looks here like you failed French in 10th grade. I was right. like, are what? you fucking serious? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, what's up with that? I'm like, uh, I was in 10th grade and didn't give <laughs> right. a fuck. Like, fucking 12. Wow. Like, what do I know? <laughs> right. Like, I I don't know. Like, what do you want me to say about that? Hey, I'm I met this now. girl and all of a sudden I didn't give a fuck about nothing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't finish high school. I, I didn't even finish high school. And they asked about the fucking grade in French. Yeah, like, right. I'm it's like, stupid. I didn't even finish high school. Like, I didn't care about life back then, obviously. And I'm different now. That's what i'm here for <laughs> wow it was weird anyway uh number four taking Wait, don't your... go too far oh, sorry, so ahead. back to the parent child thing so earlier um you were talking about how much control you can have over your child this was earlier in the podcast and you were saying something like you know you can't control but mm -hmm. but in this question it sounds like you know you do have some level of responsibility to not enable your child you can do your best, but I don't think ultimately no amount of punishment, no amount of reward, no amount of system I've put in place yet has had really any effect on my daughter. Right. And, and, and from a 
therapy standpoint that everybody might not agree with. That's because I believe her nervous system, her fight or flight responses, her freeze responses, like all that shit is so misattuned and out of whack that consequences don't fucking mean anything. When life seems like life or death, you don't worry about, oh, I don't have my phone. Like that's not even a factor anymore. You're worried yeah. about like I just don't feel safe in Is my that own like body. The Maslow's hierarchy. And right, 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 right. So idea. like when when it's life or death down here, all mm-hmm. other systems get out of whack. They either shut down or they overexert so that you can flee the situation, fight it, or or you just your whole body. Like when those animals play dead, that's not playing dead. That's <sighs> literally their fucking body shutting down. Like its yeah. whole systems just go offline. That's what really happens in them. And so if you think of a human doing that, like it doesn't matter if I tell my daughter, you won't have your phone for a month. You can't go see your friends for a month. Hey, when you do these behaviors, I like, we're going to give you money. We're going to give you clothes or whatever it is you're looking for. Like none of that matters. She will do whatever it is. The fuck her body screams is going to be a relieving behavior right now. So how do you, like, what do you do with that? Yeah. What control do I have? I get it now. I understand. Okay. So the cameras weren't for consequences. The cameras are for le- just safety. Yeah. Baseline totally safety. Totally safety. Okay. Like, I need to know if you're getting out. And if you are, I need to monitor this somehow. Yeah. Find a way to make it not happen. Uh, because I, from what I understand, she's going out to meet up with people she's never met in person. And it's, it's dangerous, right? Like, I yeah. don't want her doing that. So it's more like I need to keep tabs on this because if this doesn't, find a way to change i need to do something more drastic put you in inpatient therapy somewhere long term like i need to keep you safe that's my job that's job number one if i can't do that then fuck all this you have a phone or don't like you got to be here and alive first and foremost yeah so it's not it's not about punishments or any of that yeah totally safety based and that's what happened i mean it wasn't i wouldn't call it enabling with our daughter because she had a she has a mental disability but it was similar kind of stuff like we had to look at all right ultimately it's her safety first and you know similar we had to actually put like these bars on the window because she had people come in there that she didn't know or boys from school and shit like that and eventually she ended up going to an impatient place originally we had thought she would probably live with us and we would take care of her most of her life and then as she got older the the limitations got more so are we ready now number four Ready. All right. Uh, taking on more than your share of responsibilities is enabling, according to this website. Here's the example. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> you might let your teen avoid chores so they can have time to be a kid, quote unquote. But a young adult. Who when was this written? <laughs> 2019. Okay. You, uh, but a young adult who doesn't know how to do laundry or wash dishes will have a hard time on their own. It's important to strike a balance. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I Google. <laughs> I mean, you can Google yes. laundry. You can watch YouTube videos, right? People fix their cars watching YouTube right. videos. I'm pretty sure they can figure out the fucking laundry or the dishes. Or what kind of moron did you raise that can't figure out the seven buttons on a fucking washing machine? <laughs> Normal <Right>. start. Colors. <laughs> I mean, and, and this is acting like laundry. Like, does anybody do colors and right. whites anymore? Like, lights and darks. Laundry like that. Fuck lights and darks. That shit Shove all goes all that in. Shit. <laughs> It's YOLO. You only load once. <laughs> Throw all that shit in there. It's good to go. I mean, look, if you get a new piece of clothing, yeah, maybe you wash it by itself for a time or two so you don't turn all your goddamn socks pink. But beyond that, who gives a fuck? It all just goes in there and comes out great. Yeah, I, I, this baffles me. Like, I, I guess we're thinking about enabling from the idea of addiction, and this is like, 
are you fucking serious? (laughs) Like, I mean, I'm not saying that in my house, like I don't expect people to do laundry or help out or have a chore, but it's not because I think they couldn't learn it in five seconds once they moved out. It's because I want help around the house. (laughs) It has nothing to do with them. Dude, if you send you out on your own, you're going to fucking learn how to do the dishes. It's not that hard. Like, you'll phone a friend, right? Who wants to be a millionaire? Uh, I'll just call my buddy. How do you do the dishes? Like, what? Yeah. Wow. All right. I'm not even going to say any more about that. Let's go to number five. Next. Yeah. Avoiding the issue. Your loved one tends to drink way too much when you go out to a restaurant. Instead of talking about the issue, you start suggesting places that don't serve alcohol. This is one I I guess I agree with only because I think communication and talking about things is part of the key to help, right? Hey, let's have a loving communication about this. Let's talk about what we can do. What are you willing to do, right? Because I can't take this behavior. So what are you willing to do? And I'll work with you from there and we'll try to get you more willing to do more but right and I, if your communication's based in honesty hope that hopefully the person that's in chaotic use is going to tell you like i don't want to change i'm going to keep doing this and then you make plans according to that <laughs> you know like you can you can protect yourself if but if you base your communication on dishonesty or not talking about it then right. nobody knows who's doing what yeah that one seemed like a no-brainer i like that one I know a woman. Uh, I know a woman through AA who uh, used to throw community parties, and she would have alcohol at her own party. She just didn't drink, and one neighbor would always come and get like wasted and make a scene. Ooh. So they're um, as they were coming up, it was like a Christmas. It was an annual party. She's like, "Hey, you're more than welcome to come, but I don't want you to drink." And the neighbor was like, "What?" She's like, "Every time you do, you know, it becomes a scene or whatever." And I really want you there, and I love having your company. But hey, maybe this year don't drink and. She put that like boundary in place, and um, didn't it didn't know. go over so well. Healthy. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Well, and the woman hosting the parties in AA, um, and she's like, "This doesn't have anything to do with me not drinking because I'm still going to serve alcohol." But you know, I've seen you cause scenes or mm. get dangerous or whatever. And um, Who's anyway, she? let's get her on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. I'll call her up. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, the neighbor got pissed and didn't go. And um, we're good. All yeah, good. <laughs> right, right. Um, and the party went on, and like you know, the other guests had a great time, and there was no scene. Yeah. You know, but that's great. Wow. Uh, six feels a lot like the last one. It says brushing things off, which sounds like yeah. ignoring things to me. Uh, your partner frequently ridicules you in public because they also struggle with alcohol addiction. You tell yourself it's the alcohol talking and they don't really mean it. Even though it's starting to affect your emotional well-being, you even tell yourself it's not abuse because they're not really themselves when they've been drinking. Well, they're not really themselves when they've been <laughs> right. drinking. I agree with that. But yeah, this comes back to the idea of we... I'm not saying enable your loved ones i'm saying compassion like jenny said to your loved ones but also you need to have your own compassion and and know your boundaries and what's good for you if anything's negatively impacting your life Mm -hmm. you can't just or any forms of abuse you don't tolerate any forms of abuse no matter what yeah (laughs) whether they're using or not right irrelevant Uh, to the best of your ability i mean you know i i get it not everybody's ready to I don't want to shame anybody, right? Yeah. If you're in an abusive relationship and you're not ready to stop, like I, that sucks. It really sucks, and I hope you find a way to to get out of that situation. I guess, but yeah, you know, we would hope that abuse is not. Yeah, anywhere. people would recognize that it's they deserve better. God, this one sounds like the same thing. Are you sure there's eleven of these, lady? Yeah, right. Miss Crystal, who wrote this article, I, I think there's. <laughs> she just needed. No to, wonder she didn't have she a needed, picture. She had a number. She, she wanted yeah. to get to a number. <laughs> like, 
So seven, denying the problem. Your partner has slowly started drinking more and more as stresses and responsibilities at their job have increased. You remember when they drank very little, so you tell yourself they don't have a problem. They can quit at any time. Does anybody really say that to themselves? About themselves? Is that enabling? That sounds like denial. Like, yeah, I guess that's a like. What are you doing for them by not saying anything? I could tell you my last year of drinking. Well, I. With the last question, yeah, I said terrible things in blackouts, things that I don't even believe, but I, you know, I said terrible things to my husband. And in the last year of my drinking, he asked for a divorce two or three times. Mm. And uh, I was like, no, 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 I'll stop. And I would stop for like a couple days, you know, um, but he never followed through. Um, so I guess it was that enabling because he never did. He, right. he let you keep drinking because he didn't divorce you. Right. Yeah. And if like, he'd have divorced you, you'd have stopped six months sooner. Well, and but know, I like, mean, because I was a real ass, you know, like he, he should have divorced me. But I mean, those times of him asking for a divorce kind of built up to help me get help. You know, like he didn't leave me. But I remember those like as like pinpoints in the last year of my drinking. You know, I was like, wow, James is going to leave me. You know, like, and so he didn't leave me, thank God. But. but but did he say, Jenny, we're getting divorced? Or was he like, hey, Jenny, I love you, but like, th- this behavior is going to make us get a divorce. It was like that. Oh, yeah, okay. it was well, more that's like. Nice. Well, yeah, that's yeah. healthy. Yeah. Huh. He's remarkably healthy. I don't know why he's <laughs> with me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that's cool. He's like, I, yeah, I think he did. He said it in this, in this. I think maybe of the three times, it was like a couple months apart each. Like one time he's like, we're done, we're through. But then other times it was like, I can't live this way. And, you know, and our daughter deserves better. And Mm -hmm. so. So I I almost feel like you're living proof that enabling is bullshit. Because your husband kind of enabled you and didn't follow through on what he said. And yet you still found sobriety. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. This this whole we okay. I guess we could stop talking. It's over then. <laughs> we figured it out. World enabling's dumb. Yeah. Um, let's finish these out. Though. Eight sacrificing or struggling to recognize your own needs. Your teen spends hours each night playing video games instead of taking care of their responsibilities. This sounds like your son, Billy, and mine. Yeah. Uh, you fill your evenings with their laundry, cleaning, and other chores to ensure they'll have something to wear and a clean shower to use in the morning. But you also work full-time and need the evenings to care for yourself. You've let this slip by the wayside. You figure it's just a fact of life. I don't know if this is enabling, but I would say this is the kind of shit my wife does that drives me crazy. Like, overexerts herself and then gets stressed out and resentful about it. And I'm like, don't yeah, fucking do it. Yeah, my wife does that, Make too. somebody else do I mean, I shit. do to some degree, but... I don't. <laughs> I'm like, I am not doing work that I don't have to do. So if I find a way to blame this on somebody else and make them clean it up, it's all theirs. Yeah. <laughs> No, I just, I, less of mine, it's not, uh, I, I think less of mine is whether compassion, enabling, tough love, it's more just, I, I'm not doing that. Like, but I got enough on my fucking like plate. like our kids learn more by what we do than what we say? Right, and, so won't they pick up on the fact that we do everything? Right, and realize, like, if they want these things, they'll learn them without us. This is that whole dichotomy yeah. of, uh, I can't. Oh, never mind. I'm not even going to get political. Um, <laughs> nine, not following through on consequences. Oh, here it is, Jenny. Uh, there may come a time in your relationship when you've had enough. You might say, if you spend this money on anything other than rent, I'm not going to give you any more money. Or I can't stay in this relationship if you don't get professional help. You might also say, I'm only paying my share of the rent this month. So if you can't pay yours, you'll need to find somewhere else to live. 
but you don't follow through. So your loved one continues doing what they're doing and learns these are empty threats. But we've just proved that's bullshit because Jenny's here with us. Yeah, uh, or there's other things you can do like, hey, what's the landlord's address? I'm going to send them the fucking rent. (laughs) Yeah. And then you just pay the rent and not give them the money. Like, yeah. Or or get your name on the. But bank they account. make it sound like paying someone's rent is this terrible thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of rent paying in this thing. I, I never thought much about rent paying. Although I did continue to use the entire year, my mother paid my rent when I was renting a room from somebody, yeah. and she bought me groceries every week yeah. too. So enabling. Yeah, she shouldn't have done that. I might have got recovery sooner. I don't know. Or not at all. Right. Or I might have <laughs> been dead because I OD'd on the street or froze to death. Right. Uh, 10, not maintaining your stated boundaries. If your loved one starts shouting during a discussion and you continue the discussion instead of walking away, they may get the message that the problematic behavior isn't that big of a deal to you. They may also feel that you'll easily give in on other boundaries too. Well, that's a stretch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, you'll let me yell at you. You'll also let me steal your money and your TV. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, Borrow your car whenever I want. <laughs> what? Right. Yeah. Wow. These feel ridiculous. Uh, 11, feeling resentment. Say your sister continues to leave her kids with you when she goes out. She says she has a job, but you know she's lying. You agree to babysit because you want the kids to be safe, but your babysitting enables her to keep going out. Over time, you become angrier and more frustrated with her and with yourself for not being able to say no. This resentment slowly creeps into your interactions with her kids. Holy fuck. Like, I don't even know where to start with this one. (laughs) I I mean, it's an important one to bring up. You you yeah I do Why? because because the kids are are human victims. It's not like money or like it's not like an intangible thing. This is like a, a, a like a living being that's going to suffer if you don't step in and help. Yeah. So is that enabling or is it like taking care of the kids? Well, yeah. that's why I thought this was so ridiculous. I'm like I see people in therapy who who maybe are in similar situations, right? And I'm like, well, what the fuck are you going to do? Not take care of the kids? Right, bring your kids over more. Why don't you bring them over for dinner? I'll make sure they eat. They can hang out here tonight. You go, fuck, do whatever you need to do, you unhealthy person, and I'll help your kids. (laughs) (laughs) And look, you you might get a resentment. No doubt about it. You're going to resent your sister for this extra work you got to do. But what are you going to do if the kids don't come over? Yeah. You're going to sit there and wonder, well, who the fuck did she leave them with? Mm-hmm. Where are they? Are they home alone? And hopefully just... you have people in your community. Sorry. I mean, oh, no, no. Well, I just, we have a guy at work going through exactly that situation with his sister-in-law's kids. And they were like, the kids were like living with him for a while. And I repeatedly try to tell him, dude, that is amazing. It's really awesome that you're doing that stuff for these kids. That is so cool. Like you really, you know, and try to like just praise them at every opportunity because them fucking kids need that you know mm-hmm. yeah nice. i i just i see grandparents who are raising their kids kids uh they're raising their grandkids and that's i'm like a ton of that going on yeah do you just leave them with the practice and addict because right. that's better like uh, right. they'll get consequences if their kids are sitting there with them <laughs> right. while they get high like, no they fucking so won't gross. Oh, my God. Yeah, it takes communities to raise kids as it is, let yeah. alone someone who's in, you You're know, chaotic use. or by watching some... their children. <laughs> yeah. yeah. fucking nuts. So, I, I mean, what's the general consensus? We're, we're getting low on time here. I mean... I... So, for me, I think it's, like, I am always in a place where I want to help people as much as I possibly can within my own personal limits and boundaries. If I start sacrificing, you know, my own 
morals and values and and beliefs and allow people to abuse me and things like that, then it's probably unhealthy. But if I'm financially okay and I want to let my kids live with me until they're 45, you know, then that should that's I don't know that we should have this negative look at that as a society. Mm. Yeah, I think enabling and the idea of enabling versus tough love is really centered in this old line of thinking that is based on the idea that if there is these consequences and if they get bad enough, people will do something different. I think it's very far apart from the idea of like, we need to save people's lives. I think it doesn't take into account that these consequences are often like death or, or life altering for the worse. It's not based in my understanding of what substance abuse or addiction is, which is, you know, a way to try to cope with life that seems uncopable. I don't think the consequences that we're providing through enabling are really the consequences that are going to make people. They're not going to make people find recovery, right. right? Can they be part of the process? Sure, if that's what we've ended up doing and if that's what we have to do, like what you're talking about. If I have my healthy boundaries and I just have to kick my kid out because they won't stop stealing, then that's what I have to do. And maybe that is a part of their process to get to whatever they need to get to to decide to recover, right? But I don't think necessarily that us just forcing these consequences on people is getting them anywhere any faster. I don't think it's leading to great outcomes and it doesn't fit in with my understanding. I think, uh, you know, Jenny mentioned compassion and, and I would say empathy. That's where I want to come from at all times for myself and for anybody around me. Right. I, I yes, I need my healthy boundaries to keep me in a, in a good place. But I also just want to keep people alive and, and as healthy and be as useful as possible until they can get somewhere better, not just force feed consequences to them of pain. You need more pain in your life. Right. That's what you need. That'll fix you. Suffer. And I guess I look at it as, you know, there's no guarantee that we're going to be able to help a loved one or a friend or family member, you know, get into treatment. But are we more likely to love that person into treatment or to like shame and consequence them into treatment? And pain I, is the answer. I would argue right. that shaming is enabling. Right. Know? Final thoughts, Jenny? Oh, uh, just and just self. If you think you're enabling, I guess self care first. Take mm. care of yourself, and then uh, lead with your good intentions and the good intentions of you know compassion, like we talked about, and getting them help. Isn't and you, that what the road to hell is paved with? <laughs> 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 yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Is that it? That's it. Thank you. I feel like I have a better understanding of this now. So, yeah, uh, you know, not to say that if someone says you're enabling people or, or enabling the loved ones in your life, that it might not be a good idea or prudent for you to seek some professional help or even seek some of these support groups like uh, CODA, Codependence Anonymous or Al-Anon or Naranon. Like, I think these are useful yeah. places to learn more about it. Right. 100%. And, and to help you, because it could be that you're struggling with some codependency or attachment right, category type stuff that is making it, I don't want to say worse, but worse for you, right? right? It might not have any effect positive or negative on your loved one, but it could be making your life experience worse. And so seeking out uh, some more information about it and possibly some help with your behaviors might ultimately make you feel better, which I think is always wise. But don't just, uh, I don't think it's a good idea to just overarchingly say oh enabling's bad 
tough love is good. Let's go fucking do it. Right. Pain for everyone. And they'll right. all get better. All right. Agreed. Cool. I'll see you next week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. 